Good morning once again. It's a privilege again for me this morning to have the opportunity to join you and speak from God's Word. Uh, this morning we'll be in Isaiah 55. If you would join me in prayer as we start. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your Word. We are so thankful for the words that you give us. We are so thankful for Isaiah, this book of prophecy that you laid before us that gives us a picture of who you are and your plans for eternity, for humanity, for us. Father, we thank you so much for the messages that we have heard. We thank you so much for the message we received last week, which I believe is the most important message of all, that we would be saved through Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection. God, that you cared so much for us and we didn't deserve it. And so, Father, we, we praise you and we give you the glory that uh, we have the opportunity this morning to worship you, to be invited by you, uh, to know you. God, would you just be with me as I speak this morning? Uh, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to uh, the individuals in this congregation that need to hear it and that you would be glorified through me and that you would just kind of push me out of the way as needed um, this morning. Just so thankful for who you are. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last couple months, we've been digging into this book of Isaiah. It has been repeated week after week how significant this book of prophecy is and the value that it holds for our lives and for the glory of God. This book is broke down in, in two main parts. Uh, we've got chapters 1 through 39, which is God giving warning to the people of Israel to repent and seek holiness, that great consequence is coming. In chapters 40 through 66, we are shown hope through God's grace. And last week, Pastor Rick dug into what, is call, what he called the peak of the mountain, which is Jesus Christ, the servant who gave his life for us. As I processed the illustration of that mountain, um, I thought about my mountain climbing experiences. And I know they were gonna put a picture up here on the, on the slideshow here. That is not my mountain climbing experience. <laughs> that is not it at all. It's more at some kind of degree angle, maybe somewhere like this. That is not me. <laughs> um, as I pr as, uh, have you ever climbed a mountain? You know, some of you have, some of you have not. I lived on the East Coast for a little while, so I got to climb a few smaller mountains, smaller peaks, so I have a little experience, but even if you haven't climbed a mountain, you can kind of understand the picture I'll paint for you this morning. Um, if, you ha if you haven't, that's fine. As we climb a mountain, it is a lot of work. It takes time and energy. As you climb, at times it hurts, or you even feel like quitting or turning around. But we continue on with anticipation of reaching the goal and enjoying the view from the top. This is kind of how I look at this first half of Isaiah. It's kind of like there's going to be a lot of pain. There's going to go through some hard things. But there is that future hope um, that was spoke about um, last week in Isaiah 52 and 53. Um, it made it all worth it. When we finish that climb and we reach the peak, we find that it is totally worth the view, worth the experience. And last week we talked about that. Jesus Christ is our peak. 
His sacrifice on the cross shown in Isaiah 53 is our prophetic peak. What he accomplished on the cross makes all the pain of the climb worth it. And now today we start our climb down the hill, remembering what we just saw at the peak and what God has for us. Now today, um, I feel like with this book, if you, if, as you read along with me shortly and as you go home and meditate on it, you're gonna find that there's a lot of meat here. And I feel like even in my preparation, I just kind of started the surface. We just kind of got into the surface of it this morning. But I just hope that it, the Holy Spirit will just encourage you to keep going with this because there is a lot here uh, for us to get, dig in today. As, as we think of coming down this mountain, we've been to the peak, we've seen the glory of God through Christ's sacrifice, and now, he's, now it's the next steps. He's inviting us. All right, I want to start us off with uh, taking a moment to revisit the peak to help us better understand the invitation that God has for us. Uh, Pastor Rick shared from Isaiah 53 what Jesus has done for us, and I've decided um, today to add what that sacrifice means to us. So if you'd follow along on the screen here, uh, verse 4, he took up our infirmities. Our infirmities, it's our frailty, our illness, our sickness, our weakness, our disability. Okay, And what he did is because he took on our infirmities, we can receive strength and we will receive strength, health. The sickness will be gone, the physical perfection and freedom. That, some of that we're going to experience in this life. Most of that we're going to experience when Christ uh, returns. Uh, verse 5, he took on our transgressions and our iniquities. Um, he took on our transgressions. That means our wrongdoings, our misbehavior, all our disobedience. He took that on himself, and he gives us peace and spiritual healing. Our iniquities, all that immorality, the evil, the injustice, crime, sin, wickedness, we are covered with his righteousness. He declares us not guilty. So because of what he did for us, we receive peace and healing, spiritual healing, and we're covered in his righteousness, given new life, the ability to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And then in verse 6, um, it states that we have all gone astray and we've turned to our own way. He welcomes us in. He gives us identity as his sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ. Isaiah 53 is an image of Christ's crucifixion, but it's so much more. It is so much more. As we read Isaiah 53, we get that understanding of what Jesus has done for us. And in today's passage, we receive the invitation and are called to respond. Join me as I read the passage, Isaiah 55, 6 through 13. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will freely pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. 
The mountains and the hills will burst in the song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. What a remarkable passage we are going through this morning. And as a result of Christ's suffering, his death and his resurrection, God is inviting us, you and I, to accept his gift of salvation. We see a physical illustration of God's inviting us into a relationship with him in Matthew 27, 50 and 51, where it states, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Theologian Dr. Charles Ryrie states, the curtain separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. When the curtain was torn from top to bottom, it showed that God did it, not man. It signified that the, that the new and living way was now open into the presence of God. Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, emphasizes this by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, that's salvation through Christ, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. These two passages clearly uh, indicate that God is at work. The, the curtain has been torn in two so we now can have an open relationship with him. And it is not just for his chosen people, Israel, but it is for all people. It was for all people that Christ died. God has given us the invitation of salvation, but he makes it clear that we will not have forever to accept it. In verse six in today's reading, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. God has a plan and he knows the future. He knows our future. In Psalm 139, David declares that God knows even the number of our days, stating, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And another great passage, uh, in Acts 17, it states, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He placed you and I at a specific time in history for you and I to be able to have the best opportunity to find him. Isn't that remarkable? Not only does he know the number of days in your life, but he also placed together the, the most specific plan so that you would find him and seek him. That's remarkable. Um, so in verse six, when it states, seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near, he is not saying when you feel like it or when a better time comes along respond, he is saying, time is running out. You do not know the number of days remaining in your life. Do you not know the number? We do not know the number of days in our life, and we do not know the numbers of days before Christ will return. But the good news is, God does. 
God does know the number of days, and he knows when Christ will return. Mark Cahill, in his book, One Heartbeat Away, summarizes this uh, very well when he says, when you walk into a basketball arena, there's always a scoreboard with a clock on it. I was looking at the clock one day as it was ticking down. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. The horn sounded and the game was over. And it hit me. Our lives are just like that. Our clock is ticking down every day, and one day we will die. The clock is always ticking. The one thing we don't know is how much time is left on the clock. But we do know one thing for sure. The clock continues to tick, tick, tick. My clock, your clock, continues to tick. Will we allow our time to run out without ever responding to God's invitation to accept his gift of salvation. When we accept his invitation, God is waiting for us. In verse 7, Isaiah states, Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. God's invitation is for today, and it includes the promise of his mercy and forgiveness of our sin. God knows us intimately, and he knows all the sins that we have committed, past, present, and future. He knows our every lie, the secret we've kept for years, the unforgiveness towards others in our hearts, what we looked at on the computer, the hurtful word or action. He knows the idols of pride and money that we hold close to our hearts. He also knows Every one of the sins that you have committed have already been dealt with. He is running to you with his arms of mercy and forgiveness wide open waiting for you, waiting to cover you with Christ's righteousness. There is nothing that you have done that excludes you from this invitation. Today is the day to respond. Seek him, call him, turn to him. He is waiting to show you his grace. How awesome is our God, huh? How awesome is our God? His plan of salvation is amazing. In verses 8 and 9, he declares his glory and understanding. He proclaims, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As an adult that seeks after God and as a leader of middle school, high school students, Sometimes topics come up in the word that are hard for us to understand. Our brains cannot fully grasp the whole picture of God's sovereignty and grace. Just the idea of the good news of salvation through Christ, how God laid out the plans and saw them through so that you and I could know him and be adopted as sons and daughters and, and inherit eternal life with him is far too great for us to understand. Why would he do that? Why would God raise up Israel to be a light for the world and prophesy that he had a solution, that solution of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, knowing that Israel would reject, he would be rejected by Israel, the very people he gave the plan, with the desire to save you and me, a bunch of rebels, 
covered in regret and sin, having nothing to offer. He is right in saying, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We may never fully understand everything about God and his plans for us and for history, but knowing what we do know should lead us to worship him and turn our lives over to him. There are things about God's plan for us personally that we may never fully understand as well. Apart from his plan of salvation through grace, it's hard for us to understand why he has us go through suffering in this life. Each one of us carries the hurt of lost loved ones, the pain of sickness, and the constant fight with sin. In Isaiah 53, we're told that Jesus took on our infirmities, our transgressions, and our iniquities. So then why do we still struggle today with these after we put our trust in him? God, answer, his answer for us is, I invite you through the pain. For me and the, those around me, it seems like the times I really pray and lean on God are during the tough times. You know, when I originally sought after Christ as a 19-year-old, when I recommitted my life to him, it was during a time of unknowing, depression, just physical, just not knowing what God had planned for me. I was kind of in a place of almost desperation, not knowing what was going to happen next. And, and that's when he was seeking after me. And he used those times for me to seek him as well. And even for my family members, uh, my brother Ryan a couple years ago struggled with cancer. And for many years I'd been praying for him that he would uh, turn his life over to God and, and, and God would change his life. And it was through that pain that my brother got on his knees. I have another brother right now struggling with sickness that isn't officially diagnosed as ALS yet, but he's going through the struggle of the next steps as he, wa as he watches his muscles deteriorate. But I watch him get on his knees and trust in the Lord. It's through those sufferings that God invites us. When I have um, experienced those, those things, when I'm anxious about the future, you know, when I'm struggling with financial issues, those kinds of things, those are the times where it seems like I get on my knees. When life is good, sometimes we tend to not give the God the credit for that goodness. In those moments of hard time and struggles, God encourages us through his word. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we're going through the tough times, give our, we need to put our trust in Christ. And in John 16, 33, Jesus continues to promise, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. We live in a fallen world, but there is hope. The Apostle Paul teaches, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He goes on to share, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing, comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
Jesus will come alongside you, and as Pastor Jason shared a few weeks ago, he'll take hold of your right hand and help you. He comes right alongside in those times of suffering. Recently, I read the book entitled Trapped in Hitler's Hell by Anita Dittman. Um, Anita tells her true story as a young Jewish Christian living in Germany during World War II. From the age of six years old to 19, she shares in her book the persecution and suffering she faced. From the abandonment of her father, separation of family and friends, fear and loneliness, work camps and physical ailments that come as a result of lack of food and constant work during her childhood years, things I could never imagine facing myself or picturing my, my little girls going through, this, this started when she was six years old, the struggles she went through. Her story of suffering gave me hope. As a child and teenager, she went through unimaginable hurts, but she had clung to the truth of Christ and, and, and sought to share that hope with those suffering around her. Her story is remarkable, and God uses used and continues to use her suffering for his glory. She, she says that Jesus walked with her through all of it and pulled her out of, of worse situations and even used her suffering during that time for her safety. I would love to tell you specifics, but I would do no justice. So I encourage you to read her story. In fact, rather, I encourage you to come and hear her story. Uh, put a shameless plug out here. September 18th, uh, 3 p.m., right here at Lakes Free, she's going to come and share her, her testimony and her story with us. A Holocaust survivor is going to be here, and I encourage you to come and join in on that and bring your teenagers and your kids alike. There's a story to be um, told here. I think we as Americans um, in this generation have it, have, have it pretty easy. You know, when you read a story like this, it's like unbelievable. How does somebody endure in such a way. I've never had, by God's grace, had to experience anything like this young girl had to. But God used it for his glory, and, and it's remarkable. Um, let God draw near to you as you suffer. And don't be surprised how God uses your suffering to minister to others. Um, it's remarkable, I read a story like that. I read other biographies. It's, it seems like the heroes of my life are the ones who suffered that endured great pain for Christ. You know, I don't know what it is about suffering, but the suffering of Christ and the suffering of those who follow him, it's, it's remarkable for my faith. God invites us to not only uh, accept the invitation of his salvation, but he also invites us to hope in his future blessings. Verses 12 and 13 give us a picture of restoration. Follow as I read. Um, you will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst in the song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. In these verses and throughout Isaiah, we are given a description of the future. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ will return to earth again. 
and will physically reign on the earth. God is inviting us, those who put our trust in him, to reign, to be citizens in that reign of Christ here on earth. During that time, it'll, it'll last for a thousand years, and you can look at that in Revelation later today, Revelation 20 to 22, that area. Um, he will reign for a thousand years, and we're invited to be citizens in that reign. Following his reign on earth will, will follow rewards and eternity with him. And we don't have enough time to get into those things today, but let me give you a little taste of what it'll be like um, under Christ's reign here on earth for a thousand years. We are told in Matthew that it'll be a time of renewal. And in Acts, we're shown that it'll be a time of refreshing. The future reign of Christ will also, was also prophesied throughout the book of Isaiah and is described as a time of peace, justice. And you can see it listed up here. Peace, justice, unity, abundance, healing, righteousness, the physical presence of Christ, and Christ will rule over the whole world. Don't we, during this time, our struggles and pains will be no more. Our struggle will be over, and we will see Christ face to face. Don't we need that hope today? These promises seem completely opposite of the chaos we see in our world today. This is truly good news. We can be so thankful and worship Christ for what he has done for us and what it means for us in the future, and for the glory that will be upon him. As declared in verses 10 and 11, these are promises from God and his words are trustworthy, and he will do it. This is not something that we can um, just kind of hope for. This is something we know is coming. As we conclude this morning, one day Jesus goes to dinner at a Pharisee's house and shares this parable, uh, Luke 14. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invites many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, so please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered, and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. God has a plan for us. God has presented you and me with an invitation for much more than a banquet. His invitation includes a personal relationship with him, forgiveness of our sins, his presence through the pain, of this life and eternity 
with him. Today is the day. Time is passing us by. What's holding you back? What excuses are you making? He is waiting with open arms. If you've accepted the invitation already, for some of us many years ago, don't take it for granted. The invitation is for a daily relationship. And may your worship grow more and more each day as you continue to grab hold of what has been done for you. And may that worship turn into action as you pass God's invitation on. It was never meant for you alone, but for all. If you would join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we praise you for your words once again. We praise you for who you are and your magnificent plan of salvation for us, that we are now able to come into your banquet as crippled people, as people that are a mess, and worship you and partake in your goodness because of what Christ has done. Help us, Father, to not take that for granted. For those of us who have already made that commitment, Father, help us not to take it for granted. And for those in this room who have not made the choice, who have been riding the fence in their relationship with you, Father, would you draw them this morning through your Holy Spirit to a place where they accept your invitation, knowing that they, they have, there's nothing that excludes them. Whatever they've gone through, whatever they've done, was taken care of 2,000 years ago on the cross through Christ. Father, may today be the day of salvation in their lives. God, it's all for you. It's all for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.